Thank you, worship team, Ben and Kofi, the only two left. Isn't it great to have everybody up on stage feeling that? Isn't it? Don't we just bless God tonight for that? Has anybody ever been a part of a baptism on Christmas Eve? I did, oh, wonderful. Then you get to say that your first and maybe even your last was here at Woodside Pontiac on 2020. I didn't ask permission, but I just thought it felt right. Amen? Amen. We needed that Christmas present. As we talk about Christmas presents, as we talk about this series, as we are here now on Christmas Eve 2020, uh, a moment that maybe many of us never thought it would look quite like this, we never thought we would get here quite like this, whatever the case may be, we've been going through this awesome series called Gift Wrapped, where we have seen how humanity has gone from longing to lavish because of these great big promises that God has made, these covenantal promises that God has made to his people. Uh, and, and we have a family service tonight also, so if there's kids up running around, just uh, give them an air high five, tell them hallelujah, tell them amen that they are in the house of God, right? I would much rather them be here screaming and shouting, it's okay. I, I speak baby and whenever they yell, they're just saying hallelujah. That's all they're saying, okay? So don't, don't get frustrated, it's okay. I'm not frustrated. Every year around this time, marketers, advertisers, TV, movies, radio, they sell us on a promise that this Christmas, yes, if you can believe it, this Christmas will be the best Christmas of all time. That you will finally get that better gift you've been waiting for. You will finally get her to say yes when you buy her a better ring. That it will be a wonderful white Christmas because it's just going to be so much better. That wayward child will come home and be better. Maybe this year will be better. There are many promises that are coming to us of this better Christmas. And whatever it is, whatever uh, you're waiting for, whatever you're longing for, whatever promises might be coming your way, it was probably the same last Christmas and the Christmas before and the Christmas before. How many of you have heard for many years in a row that this Christmas is going to be the best Christmas ever? Right? It's interesting that we clap because if last Christmas was the best Christmas and this Christmas was the best Christmas and next Christmas is going to be the best Christmas, then it's not actually the best Christmas, is it? These promises of a better gift, a better holiday, a better family, whatever the case may be, you know, the, the glitz and the glamour that the world promises to us, if we're honest, it doesn't often feel that way for many, does it? It feels like the only thing promised is going to be a letdown. The only thing promised is my family is going to get into a fight again. Or I'm not going to get the present I want. Or we're not going to be able to not wear masks at church. Whatever the case may be. It feels like a letdown for many. And I think we're left wondering, asking this question. How can I be sure? How can I be absolutely sure that this will be the best Christmas? How can I be absolutely sure that I'm going to get that gift? Or uh, that, that, uh, that girl is going to say yes when I propose? Whatever the case might be. How can I be sure that God cares about me? How can I be sure that God loves me? And, and maybe this is how we feel about God today. That we hear all these promises about God. We've heard all these covenants about how good he is, how great he is. But it might feel like we're a little bit let down today. It might feel like perhaps God is not delivering on the promises we thought he would. And for many of us, that can be very difficult. For many of us, we can't really resonate with how we are going to get through that. 
But I want to read a, a, a brief scripture for you. I want to read a, a brief text, not where we're going to be for the, the majority of the night. We're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 31. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah 31. If you have your Bible with you, turn in there. If you don't have a Bible, I would love to buy you one for Christmas. So feel free to see me at the Connect Desk afterwards. Everybody needs a Bible. Again, I say this almost every Sunday, every time we gather. How else are you going to know I'm not lying if you don't read the Bible for yourself? Jeremiah 31, turn there please. But I want to read this this verse from Hebrews chapter 8. Chapter 8 verse 6 says this. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than old as the covenant he mediates is better. Since it is enacted on better promises. So even as these covenants roll out, we see that there's a better promise. We see that there is a better covenant, this new covenant that we're going to look at tonight, this better covenant that Christ mediates, these better promises. And if you're asking the question of, can God come through on his promises? How can I be sure that he's going to do it for me? Friend, I pray that you will have an answer to that question tonight. I pray that as we go through the scripture tonight and read Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34, you will see the answer to how can I be sure he'll do it for me? So what are these better promises? These better promises, again, are found in the new covenant. And we want this surety. We want to be positive that it can happen for us. And, and friend, the answer to that question is our big idea for tonight is that Jesus' coming is our sure thing. Not necessarily what the marketers or advertisers promise you, but Jesus' coming is our sure Thing, the waiting for, coming of Jesus as a human being, what we actually celebrate at Christmas. We see the security of all of his promises come true for us in this new covenant. So if Jesus' coming is our sure thing, we need to ask some more questions. Why do I need this to be the sure thing? Why do I need this thing to be true in my life? Wait, you know, if, if, if I feel like I have everything I need or I feel like I don't need something else. How is Jesus' coming our sure thing, and why do we need it? We're going to look at three ways tonight. Three ways tonight that make Jesus' coming our sure thing and why it is important for us. So we're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 31, again, verses 31 through 34. But we're going to go to God again in prayer and ask him to calm our minds, to calm our hearts, and calm our spirits. Again, I know it's a family service. I know there's a lot going on, but you can still receive from the word of God. Amen. We don't get distracted from our daytime TV shows when the kids are going crazy, right? We don't get distracted from, uh, is Desperate Housewives, that's not on anymore, is it? The Bachelor, right? I haven't watched TV in 10 years. I, haven't, I, I don't have cable. We don't do that. I don't know. I was actually trying to come up with an illustration of a talk show host this, as I was writing the message, and I couldn't find one. Like, I just don't even know who's on TV anymore. Anyway, uh, the, the, the point of the matter is we don't get distracted when we don't want to, so I pray right now that we would hone in for these next 25 minutes. Amen? Father in heaven, please minister to us now. Grant us your spirit that we may have peace, that we may have patience, that we may have goodness and kindness, that we may have mercy, that it may be bound up in us, that these would be the characteristics of our heart as we receive your word. We love you, O Lord, in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. All right, so Jesus' coming is our sure thing, but why do we need a sure thing? Point number one, we are no good at keeping promises. I know this is not a very exciting way to start the Christmas Eve message, right? You want to hear happy messages, but we need to have real messages. Amen? We are no good at keeping promises. Let's look at chapter 31, verses 31 and 32. 
Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. So what we see here from God speaking through his prophet Jeremiah to the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah, the northern and southern kingdoms, we see these words of comfort coming right now. That they are about to be sent into Babylonian captivity. They are about to experience the curses of disobedience and we see words of comfort coming. We see God through his prophet Jeremiah telling his people that there's hope, that there's a new thing, there's a new covenant coming. But why do they need it? Because they were no good at keeping promises, just like we were no good at keeping promises. We see God speaking to them saying, it's going to be different than the promise I made with your fathers. He's speaking about the Mosaic Covenant. The covenant he made with them at Mount Sinai. When he said, here is my command to you. Here are the commandments to you. If you obey, you will be blessed. If you do not, you will be cursed. Right? Most of God's covenants that we've been going through, whether it be with Noah, Abraham, uh, David or Moses, have been unconditional, where God is going to make good on his end of the deal. We saw this eternal grace that God promised Noah. We saw this forever blessing that God promised Abram, that it would never go bad, that it would never be undone because God was the one who was upkeeping it. We saw last week that God promised David that he would have a kingdom in his house forever, that we would have a forever king and his house would reign and rule forevermore. But this Mosaic covenant was a little bit different because he said, if you obey, you shall be my people and you shall be blessed. But if you do not, you will be cursed. So this is where we meet Israel right now. That they are experiencing the curses of their disobedience. They are about, about to be delivered into Babylonian captivity. Now I don't know about you. I don't know about how this year has felt for you. But I have felt like maybe we have been incurring some curses in this year. It feels like perhaps our disobedience is being met by God. And he's saying, I need to wake you up. I need to get your attention, so I'm going to allow your life to get shaken up, and I'm going to get your attention. How many of us would you say God has your undivided attention today? If he doesn't, you better pay attention. Not to me, to him. But we're in his word right now. So this problem that God addresses here with Israel is their disobedience. This problem that God addresses here with Israel is I have made a covenant with you and it is not going well because you're about to be cursed for this disobedience. You're about to go into it, but there is hope. I am going to make this covenant with you. And this has really been the history of Israel since he gave the covenant to Moses. That it's been disobedience after disobedience that they have not merely just refused to keep God's law, to keep the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not like... Ten ways to improve your life. These were obligations. These were not suggestions. This was not just how you can get rich quick or how things can go better for you. These were the obligations to enact this covenant and to keep this covenant. And we see that Israel was incapable of keeping God's commands. That they were no good at keeping their promises. Just like, unfortunately, friends, we are no good at keeping our promises. Now, uh, how many honest people do we have tonight? Oh, come on, it's Christmas. No? How many brave people? It's going to be the same people that raise their hands for sure. All of us know what it's like to be no good at keeping promises. And I think most of us know what it's like to be the nation of Israel, really, in our hearts. 
How many of us have been in a sticky situation and we said, oh, Jesus, if you just deliver me from this one, I promise I'll do X. Or I promise I'll never do Y again. How many of you have ever been there? How many of you broke the promise? So we understand the nation of Israel's heart right now, that they know that like, we can't do it on our own. That we're no good at keeping promises we want to be. We really do. I believe our hearts want to be. But in our hearts, bound up in our hearts, fundamentally, we cannot keep our promises. So what's illustrated here by God's words to Israel through the prophet Jeremiah is why Jesus' coming needs to be our sure thing. Because we cannot do it on our own. We can't even keep our promises to God. If there's anybody we should be able to keep promises to, friend, it's got to be God. It's got to be the one who has delivered us. It's got to be the one who has, as he says here, I was your husband. I brought you out of Egypt. I've done everything that I could have done for you. Yet you've still broken your promises. We are fundamentally promise breakers and not promise keepers. And I know, again, it's a hard word to hear on Christmas Eve, but don't worry, it gets better. Say it with me. It gets better. Say it like you actually believe it. It gets better. All right, there we go. All right. So God knows this, though. He knows this about us. He knit us together. He made us in his own image. He knows us. And he knows how desperately we need Jesus. And with the coming of Jesus, this problem of us being no good promise keepers can actually be remedied. Point number two found in verse 33, the remedy for this problem is that we need a new heart and a new identity. We need a new heart and a new identity. Let's read verse 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Hallelujah. I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. It's an amazing promise that we see coming true in the nation of Israel that God, through his prophet Jeremiah, tells them about this new thing that he's going to do. He meets them right where they are in their disobedience and says, I know you can't do this. I'm going to now put it inside of you, writing it on your heart, as many Hebrew theologians would say, so that when your heart breaks, it would fall into your heart. And I'm going to give you a new identity. I will be your God. You shall be my people. A reaffirmation of the covenant at Sinai. And this has been Jeremiah's message, right? A few chapters ago in chapter 17 in the book of Jeremiah, he says what? The heart is desperately sick the heart is wicked the sin of Israel is so bound up in them it is engraved on the tablet of their heart our sin problems are not a behavior problem our sin problems are a heart problem and friends we need a new heart we can't fix our behavior and this is exactly what God promises to do he says I will put my law within them no longer will the law be written on cold lifeless stone tablets Now God's law in the new covenant is going to be written on his people's heart. And this is the promise for blessing, that we would upkeep this. It is an amazing privilege and an amazing promise that we get a new heart and we get a new identity. Again, that our identity is that he will be our God and we shall be his people. This new covenant is so rich and so big and manifold in many ways. I actually, uh, listening, uh, preparing for this message, I listened to David Wilkerson preach a six-part message on the new covenant, and we're going to cover it in about 18 minutes. There's so much to what this new covenant means for believers today. It is so important for every one of us. 
And if we understand that we are fundamentally promise breakers, and we understand that we can't fix our behavior, and we understand that we cannot do it without God intervening, we need a new heart, we need a new identity. The fundamental problem, it's our inability to obey. It's a lot like this cookie for me. Yes, I will find a way to use a cookie illustration. What kind of cookie is this? Thank you, Christiana, quiet. Thank you, everyone that said chocolate chip. Because this looks like a chocolate chip cookie, does it not? But deep within its imposterous heart, its desperately wicked internal nature, someone decided raisins were better than chocolate. Boo, boo us, right? Boo us. We are this cookie, church, right? Because this cookie cannot desire to be a chocolate chip cookie and make itself a chocolate chip cookie. This cookie cannot just put chocolate chips on top of it and make everything better. It needs to be changed from the inside out. Its very nature needs to be recomposed in order to become a delicious chocolatey chip cookie. I'm not going to eat it. Anybody want it? You can have it. You can oatmeal raisin. Yeah, I'll throw it to a kid. It's okay. Come on. Oh, you didn't catch it. Don't eat it. Did you mop today? Did we mop today? Don't do it. Don't eat it. It's okay. I, I should not have done that. I'm sorry on Facebook. I'm sorry. That was wrong. That was not contactless. Maybe as it flew through the air. I don't know. I don't know why I did that. So the problem with the cookie is the problem that we have in our heart. We can't do anything to change it. We need a new heart. We need a new identity. And the fundamental problem, again, is our inability to obey and be faithful to God. It's an internal heart problem that impacts us. It's not a behavioral problem. And trying to change behavior will never fix the problem. Trying to change the behavior will never invite us into the new covenant that God is giving to his people Israel through Jeremiah and ultimately through all of humanity because our hearts at the core are opposed to God. How many of you by a show of hands would say that murder, stealing, and adultery are bad? We can all mentally assent to that and say it's bad. But in our hearts, we all struggle with hatred, jealousy, envy, and lust. And Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that it's just as bad as committing the sin. That we can't change our behavior. We can even assent to it mentally, but we need a fundamental change within us. This is why God says we need a new heart. This is why God says we get a new identity. This is why right before they go into captivity, God is giving them this new covenant. He's giving them this new promise. He's saying, it's going to go away one day. One day it's all going to be fixed. And he says, after those days, behold, there is a day coming. This is the only change that can make us obedient. It's the only change that can give us the hope for obedience is that we have a new heart and a new identity. This takes us to our third reason for why Jesus' coming is our sure thing. Point number three is we have the promise of God's forgiveness secured. We have the promise of God's forgiveness secured. Let's read verse 34, our last verse for the night. No longer... Shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, 
for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. If we are no good at keeping promises, we can't fix our behavior, we need a new heart and we need a new identity, then we've got a big problem on our hands, friends. We've got a big mess on our hands, friends. This new covenant that God is enacting is doing something dramatically different than just changing our behavior. It's doing something dramatically different than Moses coming down from the mountain saying, here's the commandments, follow them. This is something that is so big. And the heart of who we are as followers of Christ is bound up in this hope, in this promise, in this covenant that God is making. Because under our current situation... We need other people to tell us the truth. We need other people to show us the way. We need other people to teach us what God's word says. We need other people to teach us how we can be obedient, how we can be righteous. But what God is saying is that there is a day coming when you won't need a pastor anymore. There is a day coming when you won't need a class or a small group anymore. There is a day coming when sin will be removed from your heart and you will be an unbroken, completely holy fellowship and communion with God our Father again. That's what this new covenant purchases us. This gives us the right to know God in his wholeness, that we don't have to ask God questions anymore because our minds are gonna be enlightened, our hearts are gonna be enlightened, and the only way that can happen is a change in our core, is when sin is removed. I want to invite some of my friends up to the stage because my friends are going to help preach the conclusion of this message. So uh, they are young and cute and, and small, so hold your applause, please. You're going to get a chance to, to, to yell for them. Yep, up those stairs. You guys are doing great. Come on, yeah, Brielle, over there. Yeah, 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 it's good. Here we go. One, two, three, four, five, six. Hallelujah. We did it. Here you go, Loretta. Okay, hold on. Let's just hold it down. Hold on. It's okay. You got to wait. You got to let them, you got to build up the excitement, okay? All right, I know you guys are one, are going to want to clap, so go ahead and clap. But now, even after they do their lines, I don't want you to look at the cuteness of them. I want you to hear the content of what they're saying. Because the content of what these six young children under the age of 12 are going to tell us tonight is everything every single one of us needs. That we are going to get taught tonight by eight people under the age of 11. Two of them who got baptized and six of them that are about to share the gospel with us. And if they believe it, why can't you? Okay, no matter where you are, no matter where your position of your heart is, we got to pay attention, okay. So I'm going to call out their names and this is the answer to the question, can I be sure he'll do it for me? How can I be sure that he will do it for me? So when I call out their names, they're gonna say something. uh, And again, hold your applause, please. I know it's gonna be exciting. Listen to the words that they say. So we're gonna start with Sydney Breckenridge. Everything and every person, even me, even us belong to him. Very good. God rules. Everything and every person, even me, even us, belong to him. Revelation 4, worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. 
Ephraim Lopez. We sinned. We can't keep our promises. We sinned. We can't keep our promises. All have sinned. All. And fallen short of the glory of God. Brielle Horton. God provides Jesus' life paid our punishment. Uh, I said hold your applause, please. <laughs> God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believed in him should not perish but have eternal life. Patience manly. Jesus gives we get a new heart and a new identity. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we may become the righteousness of God. Jaden Woodson. You got it. Yes. Great job. We respond. Easy it's as. Easy as A, B, C. Accept. Believe, confess. Yes. Don't clap yet. I, I tried to tell you, you got to hear their words. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Just a second, Brother Ribbentrop. Just a second. I know you're excited. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confessed and is saved. Isaac Ribbentrop. Baptize and follow Jesus into obedience. That's right. Acts 8. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He commanded the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water, and Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So friends, tonight... How will you respond? As we use these icons in kids' ministry and we teach this to our children, I thought it only fitting that if we're baptizing two kids up under the age of 11 tonight and we've got six other kids up under the age of 12 on the stage here tonight, that they are going to teach us. Because we need to see that we, we complicate our lives and we, we try and make it so big and so important, but it is actually very simple. God promised his people that a new covenant was coming and there would be a day when you wouldn't even have to be taught anymore. There would be a day that you would actually be sinless and blameless and pure and holy before an only holy God and the only way that can happen is to accept Christ's sacrifice as our Lord and Savior. We are no good at keeping promises. We can't do it ourselves. We can't change our behavior enough. All of us admitted that we said, Jesus, if you get me out of this one, I'll do whatever you ask me. And then we all admitted that we broke that promise as well. So tonight, as the kids have taught us tonight, that God rules, we sin, God provides, Jesus gives, we respond, and then in obedience we go into baptism. Tonight I want you to answer this question in your heart. Where do you stand with the new covenant? Are you trying to do this yourself? As all the covenants are found in their fulfillment in the new covenant, that we experience eternal grace, forever blessing, the opportunity to be a new creation, a new identity, and to worship the forever king, Jesus Christ, as he rules and reigns on the throne of David forever, 
Where do you stand tonight? Is this just another Christmas? Is this just another time where you're going to come and say, yeah, those promises sound okay, but those aren't for me? The word says that this covenant is enacted on the better promises of God. That this is everything we've been waiting for, church. This is everything we need, friends. And we hear it out of them. So if you're wondering, can I be sure he'll do it for me? Let's all put your icons way up in the air. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That works. I want you to remember this picture. I want you to remember that you had children standing in front of you on Christmas Eve holding up pictures of your life change. Holding up pictures of how you can be in unbroken fellowship and communion with a perfect father. Of how these better promises that seem like they're so fleeting can belong to you tonight. If you won't listen to me week after week after week after week, listen to them, please. Listen to our children speak the truth to us. It is good news that Jesus came to remove our sin and give us new hearts and new identities and bring us into the reality of the good news of the new covenant. It's the only way we can do it, friends. We can't change our lives enough. We can't change our behavior enough. As we saw in week one, that only Jesus can provide a new beginning. We can't fix the country or fix the world. We can't do it. Only God can do it. Only Jesus provides a new beginning. So when we think about these Christmas gifts, I want you to think about not the better gift, but the best gift. And that is Jesus Christ. As we have looked at him being unwrapped through these covenants, as we have looked at him being unwrapped through God's dealing with human history, the only question I have is have you trusted and banked your life on Jesus? Have you done it? Not a praying grandmother, not your family, not I came to church on Christmas Eve. Have you trusted Jesus alone for your life? Because the only answer to the question of can I be sure he'll do it for me is right here. This is the only answer we need, friends. Let's pray. Father in heaven, in the name of Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We trust you. All of our belief is found in you. All of our hope is hung on you as you hung on the cross. So please tonight, speak to our hearts on this maybe a little bit unconventional Christmas Eve service. But I thank God, Jesus, that you loved us in an unconventional way. That for some people that were no good promise breakers, some people that couldn't change their behavior enough, some people that needed a new heart and needed a new identity, you enacted your new covenant and you gave yourself for us. And we respond in faith tonight, Jesus, accepting your sacrifice, accepting your life as a, a ransom paid for the penalty of our own. So we love you. We trust you. We praise you. We thank you. All of our belief is hung on you, Lord Jesus. In your mighty and matchless name, we pray, we say amen, thank God, and hallelujah. Let's stand to our feet. Let's give God a round of applause. Let's give our little preachers a round of applause. You can set your signs down and go down the stairs.